Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time. And I've got my podcast nook set up a little uh, better here. And uh, a lot more film isolation up on the walls that you can't see because of the angle of this camera. But uh, hey, ready to get going a little more. Like I said in the last place, last podcast rather it was a big transition in the fall big transition in december and now in january and getting back to it and i wanted to fix this nook up a little bit there's still some more to do but i think the uh padding and various other things i've got in here works pretty well and gonna get started Uh, i got a lot of good things going on lately in the writing world i got back a day or two ago from vegas as you know i go to vegas a lot and uh, this time was up with a uh, science fiction writing workshop with uh, Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith, learning the art and craft of science fiction a little bit more. Uh, I got, what, three stories written in six days and a bunch of other pretty cool uh, exercises done and hanging out with writers and good good fun stuff. Learned, learned a bunch, got a lot of writing done, had a good time. And I uh, get back and I'm hanging with the kids now, which is always a good time too uh, but now uh time to get back rolling with the podcast like i said i was gonna uh so uh we'll take too much more time with the intro here gonna go straight into chapters uh the next three chapters of the Pericles conspiracy which interestingly enough i uh, actually recorded <laughs> way back in september before my hiatus um just now getting them out to show you guys which is cool um We'll get those going and hopefully you enjoy them. And got some uh, cool kind of announcements for afterwards and more the next week when we talk again. But uh, yep, back again and uh, hope you enjoy what we got here. Chapter 33 Isaac's Story Joe was prepared for a lot of things. She was not prepared to see Isaac walk into the living room followed by Becky and a tall, skinny man in his middle years with the black hair that was graying at his temples. Both Becky and the stranger were dressed well, she in gray slacks and a light blue collared shirt, he in a dark gray sports coat and matching slacks, with a somber tie to complete the ensemble. And they both wore serious, if not quite grim, expressions on their faces. Isaac, for his part, was dressed more casually, in a gray sweater pulled over a white collared shirt and khakis. He nodded familiarly to Joe and Malcolm as he led the other two into the room and said, Good evening. I believe you already know Becky. She smiled and nodded in greeting to the two of them. Joe thought her smile grew a tad more warm when she greeted Malcolm, but she was not quite sure. Isaac continued, This is Jervis. He's the leader of the CFL compound in Brisbane. Joe was taken aback. She realized her mouth had fallen open in astonishment and shut it quickly, but noticed that Malcolm took a bit longer to recover. Nice to meet you, she managed. She glanced quickly from Jervis to Becky to Isaac and back. You, she swallowed and tried again. 
You're with the underground in Australia? He nodded, looking more than a little bit amused. How? She turned her gaze on Isaac, baffled. He smirked in response. I think we'd better sit down and get some drinks. This will take a little while. When I was 30, I became a millionaire. Isaac said the words as though they had little meaning and mattered even less, but they hit Joe like a ton of bricks. She had known a number of people who were well-to-do. Hell, Harold did pretty damn well. He probably made a million or more per year as COO of McAllister. But he did not flaunt it, and he certainly never talked about it. On those occasions when his salary or wealth came to be hinted at, he always deflected the subject, as though it was something not to dwell on. Like it was a sacred subject, not to be discussed. She had never met anyone who was so matter-of-fact about his wealth as Isaac. He smiled knowingly at her, his brow lifting. I know, I am supposed to be ashamed of the fact that I made more money than most people could ever hope to earn in their entire lifetimes. He shook his head, snorting. Bollocks. I've made a lot of money then. I've made even more since, and I'm not the least bit ashamed to admit it, or shove it in anyone's face who tells me I should be. Joe glanced at Malcolm, unsure how to proceed. He sat next to her at Isaac's dining room table, across from Isaac, Becky, and Jervis. Joe saw that he was taken aback as she was, and no wonder. She had just met Isaac a couple weeks earlier. He probably had known Isaac for a year or more. But then, she had suspected from the start that he had money. His clothing gave him away back at the motel. If Malcolm had not taken note, Joe smirked. Men often failed to notice obvious things like that, though. Was she really surprised that Malcolm had? Isaac's brow quirked upward, but instead of commenting, he raised his glass, filled with two fingers of scotch on the rocks, and took a sip. He remained silent as he lowered the glass to the table, looking at Joe with a challenging gaze. She took a breath and asked cautiously, But you were so casual before. A simple car, unobtrusive clothes, and she gestured with her left hand toward Isaac's burn scars without realizing she was doing it. Abashed, she pulled her hand down and took a sip from her own glass, scotch again, to cover up her slip. And I never had my scars repaired, Isaac said, completing her thought. He looked down at the table, where he cradled his glass in his hands and for a long moment was silent. Then he sighed and said more softly, I keep them, as a reminder. Again, Joe glanced at Malcolm. His eyes met hers, his expression as questioning as she was sure hers was. But neither he nor she voiced the obvious question. For her part, Joe figured Isaac would explain it in his own time, if he wanted to. And so they sat in silence for a while. How long, Joe was unsure. They simply sat looking at each other, occasionally taking a sip from their glasses, until finally Isaac smirked slightly. As I said, I made my fortune very early. I studied engineering in university and went to work at a promising design firm in Madrid. But after a few years, I had an idea for a new product and became clear to me that my firm had neither the ability nor the inclination to make anything of it. Isaac sipped at his scotch again. So I started my own business. Within two years, my product was gaining market share at a spectacular rate. We were beating the competition in both quality and ease of use, and they became frightened. His eyes twinkled, and he grinned at her. I entertained and turned down no less than three different offers to buy my company and the rights to my invention. The lowest of the offers was for over a billion credits. Beside her, Malcolm choked on a sip of his scotch. Joe could not blame him. A billion credits was unimaginable. The merry twinkle that for a moment had lit Isaac's eyes faded, as did his smile. He looked at Joe, his expression becoming as grim as a mortician. Less than a month after I fused the last offer, a swarm of government regulators descended on my business. They found us guilty of violating regulations I had never even heard of before. 
Hundreds of citation against dozens of rules that, from what I could tell, had either only been enacted in the last several weeks or had not been enforced in decades. The fines bit into my cash flow for that quarter, but I was able to continue. But his tone became flat, bitter. The next quarter, there were even more citations and more fines. I tried to appeal, but was rebuffed. I filed lawsuits requesting redress, but all were denied because there was no violation of the law, only of regulatory rules. With all of my time and spare cash flow going to deal with the never-ending violations, I began to lose market share to a new competing product, one that was disturbingly similar to my invention. I tried to sue for patent infringement and was denied because my competitors had been issued a patent that superseded my own. Isaac's nostrils flared and Joe could see the rage still red hot after all these decades within him. Finally, I had no choice but to close the business and sell off the assets. But that was not enough to pay off the debts I had accumulated in starting up and in trying to fight the harassment. Where you, Isaac shook his head. When all was said and done, I still had a goodly amount of money left. Enough to live comfortably, but I was ruined, all the same. He drew a deep breath and drank again, draining his glass completely. When he spoke again, his voice was quiet, somber. Have you ever heard of an early 20th century writer named Ayn Rand? Malcolm shook his head, but the name rang a bell in Joe's head somewhere. Isaac smiled slightly at Joe's recognition. In her book, Atlas Shrugged, the businessmen, the successful people, have enough of the burdens foisted upon them by the world and go on strike, bringing society down so it can be rebuilt. I only read that book a few years ago, and I will tell you, it is tripe. His eyebrows lifted, and that sarcastic smirk Joe had seen him wear several times before returned. I agree with some of the principles she discussed, but it could never work. There are too many idealistic, naive young people who come of age and want to do great things. Too many people who would never quit trying, no matter what. He looked down at the glass he held cradled in his hands and tumbled the ice around for a second. Then too many men, like me. Isaac went silent, and his face twisted into a grimace. He worked his jaw for a long several moments as he fought to hold back some deep emotion that Joe could only guess at. Beside him, Becky leaned forward and gently took the glass from his hands. She stood and moved over to the liquor cabinet. She moved stiffly with a pronounced limp, Joe noticed, and refilled Isaac's glass, then returned it to him and sat back down. Thank you, my dear, Isaac said, and took another drink. Smaller this time, barely more than a sip. Then he drew a deep breath and looked back up at Joe. It was obvious what happened. My competitors were large conglomerates with deep fingers into government power. They used that power to shut me, an impudent upstart, down so I could not threaten their position. I resolved to never let that happen again, so I started over. But this time I spent most of my time courting favor in Geneva, contributing to campaigns, dining politicians and regulators, supplying favors, that sort of thing. By the time I had a new product to offer, I had a firm cadre of cronies in the government, and this time they were able to shield me. Over the next 40 years, I became a behemoth, drawing my influence and with it my market share. Eventually, I became big enough that the major conglomerates that once tried to destroy me welcomed me into the club with open arms. He shuddered. Along the way, of course, I had to eliminate my own competition, whether by acquiring them or forcing them out. I knew that I was committing the same sin that had been done to me, and I ignored it. To use a term from the Bible, I actively seared my conscience so that eventually I never even felt a hint of guilt, as I loosed the power of the government to bring them down and enhance my own standing. Until one of them forced me to see what I had done. Peter Henderson was his name. He had a promising software company that was on the rise, and like me, he refused to sell. So I crushed him. 
or rather had my cronies in Geneva do it. They even managed to find a little-known criminal statute that would allow them to prosecute. Not only did he lose everything he'd built, but he spent five years in prison, all for daring to challenge me. My friends, Isaac smirked bitterly, not friends. I had no friends, only business associates and co-conspirators. They all cheered what I had done to Mr. Henderson, lifted it up as the greatest coup in memory. And it was. But when he got out of prison, he was fixed on revenge. He did not blame the prosecutor or the bureaucrats who had snuffed out his business. No, he knew where the blame truly fell, and he came to find me. And find me he did. I was in Fiji, with my daughter, Helen, her husband, and their newborn baby. It was Helen's birthday, and I decided to take them all on a trip to celebrate. Took everything I could muster to convince them to come. We had not spoken in years, not since her mother and I had split, and she was still angry with me. But somehow I convinced her husband that I wanted to make amends, and I really did. And they came for a week of fun in the sun. Isaac's voice broke, and he lifted his hands to his mouth to cover up a small sob. Oh, how I wish they had not. It took a minute or more for Isaac to compose himself, but when he did, it was obvious he was still holding back strong feelings. His lips were tight, and Joe thought he trembled a bit, but his eyes were resolute as he raised his head and looked her in the eye. I had security guards, of course. But what I did not know was that Henderson had, before university, served with an elite unit of the armed forces. My guards were no match for him. And so he burst into my villa, brandishing a gun as I was preparing to serve dinner to my family. He cursed me, oh how he cursed me, as a thief and a coward. He spelled out every detail of what had happened to him in prison, how his wife had left him. But worst of all, he told me that he would have been content to lose a fair competition with me, if only I would have allowed it. All those things rang true, but it was this last that shook a part of my conscience that I did not know still existed, because that was exactly how I felt when they had destroyed my first company all those years ago. Isaac sighed, a sigh so filled with grief and remorse that it almost broke Joe's heart to hear it. I tried to tell Henderson that I understood, that this was not the end for him, that he could just start again and overcome, just as I had. He just laughed and said he would rather die than be a soulless wretch like me. His voice caught again, but he did not look down this time. He let the tears well up openly. I noticed the remote detonator in his free hand a second before he pressed the button. He was wearing five kilograms of explosives beneath his shirt. Joe gasped in shock. Isaac continued, I was standing behind the counter. It was made of marble and shielded me from most of the blast. Helen and her family, though. He looked away then, revealing his scars more fully for Joe's eyes. Even without these, he gestured to the scars. I could never forget. But they're a reminder, nonetheless. Chapter 34 The Birth of a Movement Jesus Christ, Malcolm breathed. I had no idea. Of course you didn't, Isaac snapped. Back to his regular, considerate self again, it seemed. It's not a story I tell just to anyone. He scowled at Malcolm, but after a second mollified his expression. But it is important that you two know, so that you will understand why I do what I do. He took another long draw from his glass, and Joe found herself mimicking him. It was good scotch, and even were it not, she would not have cared, not after hearing Isaac's story. What did you do? Joe asked after swallowing. And how did you not die yourself, she did not ask. She never married and had no children, but she could hardly imagine the pain of his loss. I would just curl up and die. Isaac shrugged. I recovered, such as it was. Spent weeks in the hospital and months learning how to walk again. 
The board appointed an interim CEO while I was recovering, and they kept me appraised of what was going on with my business. But as you can imagine, I did not care a whit. I don't think I have to tell you how much pain I was in. I was burned over 60% of my body, but even worse, I kept seeing the expressions on their faces when Henderson listed my sins against him. The disgust, the loathing from Helen and Avi both. That was my last image of them before they died, and it haunted me. He emptied the glass again, but when Becky reached over to refill it, he waved her off. There are several paths the man can take when his soul is laid bare for him to see, in all its ugly truth. He can repent and change his ways. He can double down on his path, convincing himself that he's not as bad as it appears. He can go mad, or end it all, Isaac chuckled ruefully. He can grow enraged and blame the world and everyone around him for his states. Or he can do what I did, and run away. It was the cowardly way, but it was all I could think to do. I left, went to the earth and roamed from one den of iniquity to the next. For years I lost myself, or I tried to, in drink and women and drugs, whatever I could think of to dull my mind, to not think about what I had done, what I was, and what I had lost. But slowly I came out of the pit of self-pity that I had dug and begun to notice the world around me. I saw, really saw, for the first time, how many people were being held back from what they could be, what they could have. Wicked men, men like me who wielded power that kept them from advancing, and why were they allowed to do it? He jabbed a finger up into the air to emphasize his points, because we, all of us, allowed it. We invested excessive power in bureaucracies and a government far from us and entrusted them to oversee things for the good. But we forgot that they are just people, and people look out for their own interests first. As well they should, Becky murmured. Of course, Isaac replied. But when a person with power is insulated from the consequences of his decisions, as most in the government are, and particularly when he is spending not his own money but someone else's, he shook his head. Then his perspective gets warped, and he begins to think his self-interest really is in the interest of everyone. Then he grows power-hungry and corrupt, and unethical men like me are able to buy him to do their will. He leaned forward, fixing Joe with a steely stare. But if we limit his power, put bonds on the economic influence the government's allowed to wield, we can maybe stop the cycle of corruption and despotism, bring back honesty in business and competition. If we unfetter normal people so they are able to pursue their dreams without being crushed from above, we can all be better off. It all clicked into place like a puzzle going together. You created Citizens for Liberty, Joe said. Isaac bowed slightly in his chair. Took you long enough to figure that out, girl. But Malcolm stopped and shook his head, clearly perplexed. I don't understand. You don't have any hand in the decisions. You're around the periphery. Hell, I've spoken with you five times in the last year and a half. Counting today. If you're the founder, why aren't I in charge? Isaac finished for him. Malcolm nodded, and Isaac rolled his eyes. The point, boy, is to dilute power. Spread it back to the people so Smith's invisible hand can actually work. Doesn't do much good for an organization devoted to liberty to itself have a despot, does it? Malcolm did not answer, but from his expression he remained confused. Joe could relate completely. Why not have the man whose vision created the organization lead it? Isaac looked between the two of them and sighed. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. You starfarers are even more inclined toward hierarchy than us. What is it you call us? Planet-bound? His eyes twinkled, and he chuckled briefly. Perfectly understandable, of course. A ship needs a captain, but... And here's the point. You lean forward again. People do not. Isaac sat back in his chair expectantly. Joe really wished she had a good response ready, but she had nothing. Glancing aside, Malcolm was similarly silent. 
Isaac sighed again. Maybe this will help you understand, Isaac said. For a while, I was indeed the leader. As the CFL spread from Bangkok, where I first had my revelation, to other cities, I was ecstatic and happy to direct its efforts. You have to understand that I truly thought I was alone when I realized what a poison the philosophy of collectivism is. But as more and more people joined us and began expressing similar values, it was like mana from heaven for my soul. He smiled faintly. At first, CFL was open about its goal, and I proudly proclaimed the clause of liberty to all that would hear it. How foolish I was. The forces of collectivism and despotism, they're all the same, of course, have no tolerance for dissent, and especially for the philosophies that differ from their own. We were pilloried in the press, and I was dismissed as a madman who had cracked under the pressure of losing my family the way I did. Maybe he did. Joe suppressed the thought ruthlessly, but was not successful in preventing it from registering on her face, as Isaac looked askance at her for a moment and then burst out laughing. You're wondering if they were right? He laughed again and shrugged. Maybe. Maybe I have gone off the deep end into extremism. To that I will quote a mid-20th century politician. A politician, if you can believe it, who said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. He lifted an eyebrow at Joe. Hmm? What say you to that? Joe shrugged. I'd say I'm waiting for you to get to the point. What does this have to do with our situation now? Isaac's mouth shut, with a clack of teeth striking each other, and his smile vanished. He stared at her for a long moment, then nodded. You're right, of course. Looking back at Malcolm, he said, Suffice it to say that before long I became the public face of CFL, and shortly thereafter we were driven underground. I'll spare the gory details. You likely read about them in your history books back in school. He drifted off, then cursed under his breath. No, you probably saw them on the Televid, read them about them after you get back from your cursed trips to the stars. Under his breath, but still loud enough that Joe could hear him, he muttered, Keep forgetting they're both older than me, damn them. That took Joe aback, and she found herself sneaking back to her chair as though pushed there. Her surprise was so great. She thought back over her life and her travels. Like most starfarers, she was born aboard a starliner and raised there. Her entire existence, until her age of ascendancy, had been a series of year-long shifts, with years of cryosleep in between shifts, and then months of upkeep at the destination worlds where she was able to see and experience something of planet-bound life before she set out again. She had gone through one major overhaul that took her from ages 8 to 12, but aside from that, most of her childhood years had been spent aboard ship. When she turned 16 and was able to choose her life, she chose to remain. Not all Starliner children did, and that caused their parents no end of heartache as they struggled with an impossible decision. What was more important to them, the life they loved were the children they loved. Most picked their children, but some managed to find a happy medium, doing short runs from Earth to Centauri or some such, where they would only miss a few years here or there. Families whose children left were the main reason McAllister had to recruit new hires at all. For Joe, there had never been a question. She loved navigating the stars, running the ships, seeing new worlds, but she had never considered the other side of it. What did the planet bound think of her people, the starfarers, and the lives they led? By Earth standards, Joe had been alive for several centuries, yet she had not reached her 60th waking year, not even really middle-aged. She had never before considered that some might be resentful of a starfarer's apparent longevity. She opened her mouth to protest that she had not lived nearly as much as Isaac assumed she had, but he beat her to it, raising a silencing hand before he spoke. I know, I know. Time dilation. You don't have to tell me. Isaac snorted, made a gesture that screamed, Hey, what can you do? Then he went on. Point is, about 50 Earth years ago, CFL went underground and I had to scramble to get my investments out of public view before they were all confiscated. Joe did some quick math in her head, then double-checked it to make sure she was correct. 
If what Isaac said was true, and she had no reason to believe it was not, that meant he was at least 120, if not 130 years old. Not excessively old by any stretch of the imagination. People have been known to live to 150 these days. But he definitely had a baby face, strange as that seemed, from when she thought about it. For a few years after that, Isaac continued pulling Joe's attention back to his story. People in CFL looked at me like I was a god. My every word was a command, and no one was willing to do a damn thing unless I gave the go-ahead. I realized I had created my own little kingdom, and it was just in danger of becoming just another petty despotism, just like the government that the CFL was created to temper. So I stepped down. I disappeared. I left Bangkok and didn't tell anyone where I was going, except for a trusted few. I have moved around, living off of my investments, starting a new company or two here and there, and every so often, I check in on the CFL compound to see how things are going. Isaac scowled. Unfortunately, some of the leaders were entirely too bright and figured out who I am. He glared at Becky, who smiled beatifically. Isaac just rolled his eyes. But I suppose that's not entirely bad. It let me step in now, where it matters. He stood up then, pushing his chair back with the soft sound of the chair legs, scraping across hardwood. I've seen and caused a lot of injustice in my life, but I've never seen anything as despicable as what's going on with those alien eggs. His eyes grew hard as he leaned forward and smacked the tabletop with his palms. CFL is my baby, and I'll be damned if I let some snot-nosed punk like Pedro pull out of this just because he has his panties in a bunch. He drew a deep breath, then gave Joe a look that was all business, full of command. So, how can we help you? Chapter 35 Schemes. Well, Joe said, glancing at Malcolm for support, that really is the question, isn't it? Your fouls are gone, as are the backups. No one's going to take your word for what's going on, so we'll have a hell of a time blowing the lid on this thing now. She paused, looking back at Isaac, then at Becky, and Jervis. Unless you have another copy of the files hanging around somewhere? Becky flushed and lowered her eyes, clearly ashamed. No, she said, they're all gone. Joe nodded. And I expect your mole's been picked up already. If you recorded this from his implant, the metadata... Jarvis interrupted her. No, we were quite thorough in removing all identifying data. As of this morning, he is still quite well and at work, with no one the least bit suspicious of him. That can't last. Jarvis shrugged. You may be surprised. Joe pursed her lips, pondering. Maybe the mole can make another recording, or get another piece of evidence that they could use to take this thing public. It might work. I see those wheels turning, girl. Might be you should rethink that plan. Joe looked askance at Isaac. What plan is that? He rolled his eyes. This is not my first rodeo, girl. You're thinking we can just proceed as before, try to get a press conference going. Maybe with some new piece of evidence or some such, he snorted. Not gonna happen. Before, they didn't know we had them, but now they know we know, and they'll be ready for it. So what would you suggest? Isaac spread his hands and gave her a knowing smile that did not touch his eyes and remained silent. Wonderful. That was real helpful. Think, girl. What's the core of the problem? Joe frowned. They're mistreating the eggs. No. What's the core of the problem? Where was he going with this? Sudden movement from the side brought her gaze to Malcolm, who sat bolt upright in his chair as though he'd been poleaxed. His eyes were wide. He looked dumbfounded. They're not returning the eggs home, like the aliens asked us to. Isaac's eyebrows rose high on his head, and he pointed at Malcolm in approval. Precisely. Now. He settled back into his chair and pulled it close to the table again. How can we help you? You know where the lab is, and you have a mole who can get us inside. Isaac's eyes were positively twinkling as he nodded in response to Malcolm's words. 
Malcolm frowned. But that doesn't do us any good. We're stuck here in Quito. Unless you wanted to have your people go it alone? Jervis spoke up. We're quite capable, mate. But I think you'll want to be there, won't you? Then I don't really see... I have a plane, Isaac said. Malcolm blinked, then grinned. Okay, that takes care of that. It still doesn't help. Even if we could get them out of the lab... He trailed off, his eyes growing even wider as he looked at Joe. What he was getting at sunk in, and Joe felt like her stomach had fallen out of her body and struck the floor. He could not be serious. Could he? The biggest problem I see, Isaac said, is transportation off-planet. That's beyond my realm of expertise. He grinned. Do either of you know a trustworthy pilot? And just like that, the entire caper came together in Joe's mind. Okay, that's three more chapters down. They're now chapter 35 out of, I want to say, 62. And the reason I did all these three together, it's probably pretty clear when you uh, listen to them all, is they go together. It's uh, a lot of talk in this one, backstory on Isaac, a lot of cool stuff. But uh, this is also kind of a turning point in the story, as you no doubt have figured out. Because, you know, just recently, Joe and Malcolm were in the outs. Oh, geez, they're, what the hell? They're, everybody's kicked them out. The uh, Pedro and his boys said to take a hike. They're wanted by the feds and the NSA. They're, oh, they're just screwed. But now, now things are looking up a little different. And now they have a way forward. And that way forward become more clear in the chapters to come, obviously, as we go through the uh, second half of the book here. Um, but from here, the uh, the story really gets hot, I think. There was a... I don't really pay much attention to reviews, but there was this one review I read of the uh, guy several years back who read the book. And he was like, man, just when you think you've got the pace of this book down, the author just giggles with a evil laugh and floors it, and you're off on a roller coaster. And it was awesome. And... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what point that guy was talking about, but I like to think it's from here on, because from here on, we get into the caper that Joe is starting to have an inkling of. And then maybe you guys have a notion of what that caper is. I mean, it's been a, obviously been a few months since I put this out, and some of you have, I don't know how many of you guys have stuck around through that gap and are now listening again, how many of you guys are tuning in for the first time. Those of you tuning in for the first time are probably like, what the hell is this? We'll go back several episodes and uh, start from the beginning of the book, I guess. But uh, where we are now, from here on, things change. And it's really a pushing forward. Um, <coughs> and it's interesting because as I was writing the book, uh, there were several different spots where I was like hung up. Like, what the hell is next? How, how is she getting out of this? Like, when she get put in? in jail that was one of them and then after pedro tossed her out it was another it was like well damn how am i gonna get her out of this which is i initially had hadn't really figured isaac would do much he's an interesting character that i got to take her from the motel but then i to to meet with pedro initially uh but when i uh I had her on the outs with Pedro. I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, that Isaac guy, he was cool. And he had money. And she could tell he had money. And, oh, well, then it all just flew from there. So as uh, we proceed on with the book, uh, you'll see uh, a little more of him and a lot more of exciting keeper adventure to come. Um, before we sign off for the day, I want to tell you about a couple of th cool things that are going on. 
First off, directly related to the Pericles conspiracy, is while I was in Vegas, I got invited to participate in a story bundle. Uh, if you don't know what a story bundle is, it's uh, it's just like it sounds. Um, the story bundle is actually a company that puts together bundles of stories and novels, typically with you know, you know ten or so writers. They bundle all their stuff up and sell them together. <coughs> I've uh, bought several of these story bundles before, but never participated in one despite wanting to. But Dean, he invited me in because he saw the cover of Pericles and the story bundle that's coming up is uh, called Visions of the Future. And he's like, that would work well for this, wouldn't it? And I said, yes, Dean, it would. Well, I'd want to join in. Yeah, sure, I would. So I'm uh, joining in with him and a few other, you know, seven or eight other people. Uh, we're sell our books together through Story Bundle. Uh, the way it works is you go to storybundle.com and um, you basically set your price, right? You get uh, 10 or 12 or more books for a price that you set. Uh, but depending on how much you decide to pay for it, you get fewer or more books. And a portion of all the proceeds go to a charity. I want to say the charity that they're supporting this time it goes to uh, help disadvantaged kids learn how to read better, I think. That's what they've done in the past. I have to check on it. Anyway, this is starting up next week. So it's like, yeah, cool. So I uh, got the story bundle, guys. Man, we're doing the Pericles conspiracy in it. I think I said that a minute ago. But anyway, um, so I got the story bundle, guys, the files, and uh, the other day, and we're good to go. And it's like, oh, cool. So the next several weeks, I'm going to be pimping it a lot. So don't be surprised if you hear about it again. So that's cool. Haven't done one of these before, and uh, we'll see how it goes. It'll be fun. Uh, the other cool thing is... Um, yeah, I've been. I've told you guys in the podcast before a couple times about the Infinite Bard. Uh, the me and a bunch of other writer friends who I know, friends and acquaintances, and somewhat less than acquaintances, but we all run in the same circle. <coughs> Excuse me. The um, uh, we somebody puts out their short, a short story theirs for free on their website every couple weeks, and then the Infinite Bard. Uh, Everybody links and tells all their people about it. So everybody, uh, everybody who's the authors involved have contact with go and read the story that the person put up every two weeks just to you know share stories and help promote each other and expose you awesome readers to cool stories well i was supposed to have one one of my stories up uh the beginning of the year but a few things happened uh, just with schedule and wasn't able to get done so instead i uh, i'm gonna have my story in next week Next Wednesday, it'll come out, and again, I'll pimp it when it comes due, but I'll post it on my blog, and also uh, the infinitebar.com website will send it to it. But I'm uh, my story uh, passed over is the story called. I'll be putting that out for free for everybody to read. Again, I'll tell you more about it next week. Um, <coughs> other cool things, I've been doing my story a week, short story a week writing challenge going on for 42 weeks now, and got 42 stories done in that time actually more than 42 i'm like 44 or 45 i think because there's a couple weeks when i did two and this past week i did three because of the sci-fi workshop uh so that's been going well and i'm cranking back on now that i'm back in the groove of writing because it's really bad 2017 and 2018 um that was my way in 2019 to get myself kicked back in the butt again into the habit of writing and it's worked pretty well the problem was it was only working well for short stories. I had the goal to do 52 in 52 weeks. Coming up close on that, no way I'm not going to hit it now because far too committed. And so I'm shifting my focus not away from the short story week, but 
in addition to getting back into <laughs> these novels I've been writing. So I'm going to finish up my Space Navy novel, do the sixth book of my Gloomer Veil vale Chronicles, and finally, finally, <laughs> follow up on my first book ever, Masters of the Sun. I had started on the sequel to it, and I got distracted, got doing other things, and here it is, what, seven years later. Still haven't done it. <coughs> well, this year I'm going to get that done too. Um, with all this... Uh, work and practice getting back into the groove of writing i am totally gonna get that done now um now that life is settled down off the tumult of the last two years especially it's a lot um easier i guess fewer excuses there are fewer things going on that i can use as an excuse to not write if that makes any sense um so again more on that as it comes out and in the meantime while I'm doing that, I now have like f almost 50 short stories that I am uh, going to be putting out for all you guys to consume and enjoy over the next uh, year, year and a half. Just because <laughs> can't can't do them all at once. I mean, I guess I could, but I would be doing nothing but getting covers done and getting things formatted and uploading them to all the various places. And besides, I want to give the uh, science fiction and the mystery community at large the opportunity to enjoy those stories through selling them to the magazines. So I've been submitting them to those places too. Um, but as I make the rounds through, or if there's some things I decide I don't want to do that, they pass like passed over for next week for the Infinite Bard. I'm not sending that to them. I'm just putting it out to you guys. Uh, we'll get those out, and as I get bundles of stuff ready to go, put out collections and all that stuff, like the short mystery 10-pack that I did uh, last fall that I told you guys about. Here it is. I, uh, up here, you can see it over there. I got a bookshelf with all, <laughs> a bunch of books of mine. Oh, I have a spare shelf. I can have my brag shelf ready to go, and yay. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good stuff going on. Lots more good stuff coming up in the future. So stick around here and uh, come by my website, michaelkingswood.com, and I'll let you know what's going on there. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm almost never there, but I do have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash michael.kingswood. I'm also on Twitter. Again, almost never on there except for having a presence. I don't have very many followers. I don't follow very many people. Because actually I had deleted my Twitter account because I hated it so much. But just in the last few months I put it back on because, you know, what the hell, just to have a presence. I will occasionally go on there and do that, but mostly it feeds from my blog and that's about it. But I do check it. So if you guys get in touch with me there, I will eventually get back to you. Um, yeah, so that's all I got going on right now. Hopefully you enjoyed these uh, two, three chapters, I'm sorry. Next week... I think I'm going to take a break from Pericles just because since I'm putting that past over story out, I think I'm also going to podcast that story for you guys. And then that will become an audiobook as well, because why not, right? Um, so we'll do a past over next week and then back to Pericles conspiracy after that. And we'll chug through a bunch of these chapters and get through the book as quick as we can. Since, <coughs> excuse me, there's a lot of other, a lot of other uh, things to get done. So, yeah, hey, thanks for sticking around. If you did, stick around through the hiatus. If you didn't and you're just finding me, hey, welcome aboard. Lots of good stuff to listen to before. Some of the earlier stuff doesn't sound as good because I didn't have to get a mic, didn't have to get a setup. Certainly didn't have this awesome nook with sound isolation that I have going on now. Um, so, 
apologize for that. But hey, you know, when, when you start things, you don't really know how it works, and you gradually get better and better. And I think I'm getting much better now. That's all I've got. I'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.